Good evening, Australia, and welcome to the rest of the world, wherever you happen to be joining us from. Thank you for coming on to Under the Wire, your home for censored and suppressed information about vaccination and health. My name is Meryl Dory, and I'm joining you from the Australian Vaccination Risks Network. I'm very grateful for your coming to see us tonight. Uh, of course, before I go to our guest interview, I have a little bit of an update for you on a couple of issues. First of all, um, amazing, amazing pictures of the crowds in Melbourne. Um, they are protesting every weekend to kill the bill, um, the bill that will basically give dictator Dan unfettered uh, power over everyone in the state. Um, the ability to say that there is an, an outbreak or a pandemic even when there isn't one, um, the ability to basically do whatever he'd like and we know what he'd like to do because we've seen it for the last 19 to 20 months. Um, so how amazing are these scenes? The only thing that's more amazing is that um, the, uh, the news media outlet that actually posted this uh, said over 3,000 people protested in Melbourne. Well, I mean, they weren't lying, right? Because that's definitely over 3,000 people. 50,000 is somewhere over 3,000. So they just can't bring it upon themselves to show the fact that there are a huge number of Victorians who absolutely oppose Dictator Dan. And um, I'm really grateful to everyone there who's come out because you've restored my faith in humanity. Hello, everyone. Good to see you all. Um, so this is going on every single weekend. If you haven't yet been to one of these rallies, hopefully next weekend you will. No, that's right. They didn't lie. They only um, underestimated a little bit. So um, there are also going to be rallies coming up on the 20th and the 27th. So um, please make sure you stay in touch with the ABN Facebook page. We will be posting information. Sorry, not Facebook, our Telegram channel. Um, we will be posting information uh, there. And there are many other Telegram channels where they are posting uh, details of all of these rallies. National Education United is one. So yeah, they can't count, Irene, or they're trying very hard not to be able to count. So yeah. Uh, but doesn't it make your heart feel good to see that? Um, Stuart, were you there yesterday? Uh, it must have been the most amazing, amazing feeling. And I saw that Craig Kelly was there speaking as well. Um, the weekend before, there was a woman who sang, um, uh, oh gosh, I forget it. We are Australians. And she had the most amazing voice. She sounded just incredible. So uh, just beautiful, powerful events that... Everybody, I think, who went there would have come away feeling uh, just this incredible sense of camaraderie and power because we are the people. We have the power. The government has none. There are so many more of us than there are of them. We just need to realize this. Um, I, Joanne, I will post them after uh, the, oh, actually, I can do it while the interview is going on. I will post them while the interview is going on, okay? So I'll put the links to the Telegram channels. Please um, make an effort to bookmark them and join the channels, and that way you'll be able to see all the time because there's so many things happening now. 
and um, we have to be able to stay in touch and share the information to get as many people as you know involved in this. Now, this is something that just came across my desk today. I hadn't actually seen this. This was an interview with Lee Sales, who I'm pretty sure is on the ABC, and um, she was speaking with Brendan Murphy, who is the secretary um, of the, I forget his title now, he's secretary uh, in Parliament. Um, basically, he has all the power when it comes to the vaccination or uh, experimental bioweapon campaigns. So this Lee Sales asked during the interview, at the end of the interview, this was February, so it was just when the campaign to give these jabs was getting started. Um, just to wrap up, what is your message to any Australians who might be legitimately worried, thinking this has happened all pretty quickly? I'm sort of worried. Is it safe? Is it going to be safe to have a vaccine? What is your official advice on that? And here we see Brendan Murphy telling absolute lies to the ABC and to the Australian public. My official advice is that we have deliberately gone through the normal full range of regulatory approvals for our vaccines because we are in such a good place in this country with no community transmission. We have been able to do the full safe regulatory approval. This was in February, between February and now. Not one of the jabs for COVID has been fully approved. Every single one of them is experimental. Every single one of them has only received a provisional approval. Australia is part of a phase three trial. And what Brendan Murphy said here is simply not true. And he needs to be held to account for that. Absolutely, Lynn. Absolutely. I mean, I don't like to call people liars because... Um, you know, it's you don't know when someone is actually lying and when they are just, you know, misinformed. This is an absolute outright lie. And people who listened to this and made decisions based on what he said and then became injured, well, their blood is on his hands. And I don't know how he sleeps at night. I really don't. Um, now, speaking of vaccine injuries, uh, the AVN has started to publish this. It will be on our new on our website and updated regularly. Um, these are data uh, as up to date as the government has actually reported. The government is months behind in actually putting up the data. Funny that they don't seem to be able to put it up quickly. Um, I don't understand why. But this is, I think most of this is as of July. Some of it is as of October, so that's more recent. But most of it is as of July. Uh, at that time, no, this will be October too, sorry. Um, the number of deaths from COVID-19, supposedly with COVID-19, not from COVID-19, is in black on that top pie chart on the left-hand side, and the deaths reported following the experimental jab are in red. And as you can see, between uh, the beginning of the campaign and this point, which is probably the 24th of October, there were 760 deaths reported with COVID and 629 deaths reported following administration of the jab. Not a huge difference. And if the 760 deaths with COVID continue to the end of the year, we will very easily beat the number of deaths 
with COVID that were reported in 2020 when we did not have an experimental jab. So if the jab is supposed to stop deaths and hospitalizations, it's doing a pretty poor job of it. Um, the, the table to the right is reported short-term adverse events versus no adverse events. And only a small majority um, have reported no adverse events. Nearly half of the people who took this jab have reported at least one adverse event. And the total number of events that have been reported at this point um, is extremely high. Uh, the TGA, or Therapeutic Goods Administration, um, has reported a total number of 74,380 adverse events. Um, out of 19,337, I think. I'm not sure how many um, back. Oh, so that's Ausvac safety. My, my apologies, Ausvac safety. Uh, so there are an incredibly high number of reactions being reported. And um, as of July 2021, according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, which is very, very far behind on their deaths um, reports, there have been at that point 16 deaths from COVID versus 28,000 deaths from cancer. So what are we really concerned about? Are we doing anything about cancer? Are we locking people up and saying they can't go anywhere because they're going to die of cancer? No, we're not doing any of that. COVID is everything we're concentrating on. And statistically speaking, it is far from the most common cause of death or disability in Australia. Okay, this is at a glance. Um, there have been 4,568,000 safety surveys completed. Keep in mind that these safety surveys stop working three days after someone gets the jab. So any reactions that occur on the fourth day, um, I will put a link to these two, Joe. Um, I will put a link to this. This is uh, something that the ABN has been working on and getting together. So if you have a, a reaction on day four or your loved one dies on day four, um, as far as I'm aware, you are not able to report that via OSVAC safety. Um, they're only following reactions and deaths that occur within the first uh, three days. So there are 43.8% of the people who take this jab reporting at least one adverse event. So almost 50% of the people who get the jab are reporting that they've had at least one adverse event. Um, and almost 1% of those are visiting the GP or the emergency department. These are safety signals. We are in the middle of an experiment. And the TGA, the Department of Health, Brendan Murphy, all these people and departments are pretending that none of this is happening. And it's got to stop because these things are killing and maiming so many Australians. And right now, children as young as five are going to be targeted, uh, they say, in January. So we really need to make sure that um, before that happens, we get this thing stopped because our children are going to be the next victims. And the government is already starting to normalize the, um, the occurrence of things like stroke and heart attacks in young children, saying that they've always been there. And I've got to tell you, that is yet another lie, another huge porky. So um, 
we need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to stop these uh, this devastation from the experimental bioweapon jab. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday night this week, I am speaking with a retired barrister. We spoke for such a long time, it had to run over two episodes. Um, his name is Julian Gillespie, and he has some amazing information about the legalities of what is happening and potential ways in which we can fight against this. So I've scheduled the um, Under the Wires for Tuesday and Wednesday night. If you wouldn't mind sharing that, that would be really helpful. So um, I hope you'll all join us that night and listen to this very learned man talking about, oh, you've lost the sound. Has anyone else lost the sound? Please let me know if you're able to hear me. Uh, Joanne, I think it may just, oh, okay. It may be freezing. So I hope it's just a matter of the internet. Uh, the sound is working fine on my end right now. So, um, freezing. Huh. Phone. That might actually make things a little better, but I hope so anyway. Uh, it seems that uh, Kathleen is asking, why hasn't anything been done? It seems lots have evidence, but they are still pushing the jab. And that's because before the campaign even started, the AVN sent in a Freedom of Information request to the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And we asked... Um, how many deaths and adverse reactions will it take for the TGA to pull these jabs and to think that maybe the benefits are not outweighing the risks? And the TGA said they had no number. So they are simply watching the people dying. They are watching the people be injured. And they are doing nothing about it. So we need to make sure that we keep the pressure on. There are two liberal senators, Gerard Rennick, and I think the second guy's name is Acton. I can't remember. And they are actually incredibly, incredibly brave. I hope everybody sends them um, letters of thanks because, um, and I will put their details down um, in the comments. So uh, they are saying that they will not vote with the government. So when the Liberal Party puts up legislation, they will not vote with the Liberal, Liberal Party. They will withhold their votes. The Liberal Party can no longer get anything through the federal Senate. And uh, I think that's what it needs, but it needs more than just two people. There are two people in the Senate and four people in the House. And I think that there needs to be more people in Parliament who actually have a conscience and a brain. Uh, I think right now what we're seeing is an awful lot of robots and very few actual human beings. So um, the people who are out there supporting your rights they need your support as well. They need you to write and thank you. And uh, yeah, <laughs> Joe Bear said it wouldn't be a Facebook Live without a few issues. You're right. What would happen if we had a Facebook Live and the sound worked perfectly? There were no freezing. Uh, everything was fine. I think we'd all faint from shock. So um, yes, we do need to change the entire government. With, with only like five, six, or seven exceptions, 
everyone in Parliament needs to go and needs to go now. And that's why when the elections take place, we need to be voting consciously. Don't support the major parties just simply because you uh, have always done so. We need to be thinking outside the box and supporting the independents out there. So um, I just think that it's really important that we are aware of this and that we all know uh, why these things are happening. And it's because our government is rotten to the core and those who are like Brendan Murphy, like all these other people in the government who are making decisions that affect the lives and the health of Australians are not necessarily keeping our best interests in mind. So we need to make sure that they go, they go. So um, without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest tonight, Dr. Catherine Fyans, who has been a doctor for many, many years. Uh, and for most of that time, she has practiced um, conventional medicine as well as complementary medicine. And I really um, loved speaking with her, and I hope that you will enjoy the conversation as well. Thank you. So welcome. I'm here with Dr. Catherine Fyans. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us on Under the Wire. I really appreciate that. Um, medicine for quite some time um, yeah. and part of your practice perhaps a large part of it was more involved with natural therapies than it mm -hmm. was solely western medical therapies would that be correct oh absolutely and yeah. really for for many years Meryl uh, probably most of my career so I practiced for um, 41 years until I let go of my registration very recently mm. and uh, a lot of that's it yeah, so what made you decide to look into um, integrative or natural therapies or um, whatever you want to call them? I said I call them um, conventional therapies and the uh, Western medical is alternative to me, but uh, whatever you'd like to call it, what made you decide to look further than what you were taught in medical school? Well, look, I, I never consciously decided. It wasn't part of my plan. It decided for me. So about five years after graduation, I uh, did a trekking trip in North India in Kashmir and um, absolutely fell in love with India. And after the trip went home and thought I would love to go back to India and spend more time there and um, uh, maybe work there. Now, I know that's so cliche, but about six months after I got home, I, someone rang me out of the blue and said, oh, there's a hospital in North India um, run by Tibetan refugees. They have uh, Australian volunteer doctors. Would I be interested in going? So it, it was so compelling for me to go and like a uh, moth to the light, it was like, I have to do this uh, without a shadow of a doubt. So I found my way to North India and I worked six months there living with uh, Tibetan refugees in a place called Dharamsala uh, in the state of Himachal Pradesh. And, Really, that changed my worldview. So it was never going back after that. And it's been quite a slow burn since that time. And it, it was there that I understood the primacy of mind regarding health and life in general, basically. So there was no going back to, I guess, the dogma that had been instilled into me during my medical training. 
When you talk about the primacy yeah. of mind, explain a little bit about that because I know from the doctors that I have dealt with over the years, and I'm not talking about the doctors who are uh, more uh, vitalistic than mechanistic, but uh, the, you know the mainstream doctors that you meet on the street, they don't really believe that the mind has any influence on the health or the body. So talk to me a little bit about what you learned and how that changed your attitude towards the influence of the mind. Well, we're, we're getting into the realm of quantum physics, I guess. So um, as you know, the, the big argument throughout time has been vitalism versus mechanism. So most of Western medicine is based on the Newtonian version of uh, reality, classical physics and can treat the body in mechanistic terms. And that gives rise to um, quite reductionist medicine. And I'm not saying that doesn't have its role. It, it does, but I think it's also quite limited. Whereas the world of, um, I call it holographic, uh, a holographic viewpoint. And that has the understanding that everything's interconnected and a part of the whole reflects the whole. And there's a field of energy interwoven with the world of form. So, and I've done many studies in this with many people over the years, and I've had some fantastic mentors, and it's been a very, very rich journey, I might add. So, and it's not even that mind is separate from body or mind influences body, they're concurrent. So what goes on in mind in the moment is affecting what goes in our, in our physiology. That's what I believe anyway, that's my understanding. So very often when we're looking at medical conditions, we're forgetting the actual person behind the condition and uh, their life history, their emotional history and their ancestral history and their family history because that has quite a big influence on the manifestation of um, illness. And uh, I believe we uh, inherit uh, uh, unresolved emotional experiences from our ancestry. And often illnesses are a compensation for what was unresolved emotionally that's in the interesting line. that's yeah, yeah it's not common thinking at all no it's it's not yeah. certainly in mainstream uh, practices but um you know i used homeopathy virtually exclusively when my okay. children were growing up and the whole idea of quantum physics is how homeopathy yeah. the energetic medicine works and mm. miasms was something that i learned about and how we are born with these influences from our mm -hmm. parents and our grandparents and yeah. you know the whole uh, ancestry going back and that makes a lot of sense to me and I, I also remember one thing that I learned from a, a person who was a PhD in physics um, theoretical mm -hmm. physics and he mm -hmm. he said that we don't even really know where the conscious mind is nobody exactly. can find it so exactly. how can we possibly discount the power of what mm -hmm. it can do so yeah so when you treat when you were treating people um were you finding that you were involving their minds in the treatments of their bodies and what were the results you were getting with that if that's what you were doing well i i was always involving their minds from my perspective but it very much depended on the person and where they were at. So if they came in with, say, a sore throat, not that I did a lot of that medicine, then they may not want a very, you know, 
drawn out, lengthy mind body analysis. So they, they just want their sore throat dealt with, if you know what I mean. Yeah. But certainly in my mind, I might be saying, well, I wonder why that person is manifesting that condition. And I'm not at all saying the condition is not real. The physicality is very real. It's not, um, it's not uh, oh, it's all in the mind. And that's what a lot of people think when we talk about mind-body medicine. What is going on physically is real and needs to be dealt with as well. But there's always those connections. So it depends on the per per person. And I, I probably would use my, um, my gut, my instincts, and say, you know, would I talk about those sort of notions with this person or not? And there are some people I would go there most definitely, some people I just wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm dealing with their reality, um, even though I might be saying, oh, they're not expressing what they want. And I mean, I don't want to sound very Louise Hay because it's a lot more nuanced. <laughs> no, no disrespect. Uh, it's a lot, I shouldn't mention names, should I? It's a lot more nuanced than, than that. Um, and, you know, in our culture, we, see, we always see illness as the enemy, you know, an, an aberration of nature, uh, malign. Whereas, and I'm not at all suggesting people be ill unnecessarily at all, but if they are ill, you know, it's sometimes a tough love teacher rather than just something to be got rid of. So, yes, we can treat the illness as we should, but look at the bigger picture at the same time. Yeah. Um, so I, I've more written about it and talked about it than within a consultation. But now that my career is changing, I will be going in more, more in that direction for sure and um, doing mind-body counselling and trauma counselling. Right. So you said that yeah. recently you gave up your um, certificate. Is it a practising certificate? Is that what it's called? Or I didn't renew my registration right. with APRA. Okay. And that was due at the end of... Uh, September. Oh, so that's very so recent. I, yeah. Very recent. And I chose not to uh, because I just couldn't agree to their terms and conditions. I, I wanted more freedom of speech. Mm. That's more important at this stage to be able to um, not be looking over my shoulder all the time. Maybe I still need to look over my shoulder, but I, I just feel there's a lot of things we need to express at this current time that yeah. uh, we, you know, yeah. We have the brakes put on us well and truly. That's, and that's something that um, a lot of doctors are expressing, that even if they are more along the lines of mainstream Western medicine, um, mm -hmm. they don't want the government or opera or the pharmaceutical industry coming between them and their patients. They want mm -hmm. the freedom to actually decide what advice they're going to give. Um, yeah. to their patients. And a lot of doctors still do think of their role as advisory, not one as uh, controlling, um, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 And, exactly. Yeah. So opera is a fairly recent, um, I mean, I think it's maybe 10 years ago or maybe About slightly 10. more uh, that opera yeah. came in. Is that when you started to see the changes in, in your own practice where you, where you found that you were not quite as free to um, act the way you felt was best for the patient? Not particularly, Meryl. It really, um, from the beginning of last year, it became, it's almost like the lights went on and I woke up to a lot of things I had been fairly uh, ignorant of uh, previous to that. Even though my thinking about healthcare uh, is generally very different to mainstream, has been for a very long time. Um, it was really the beginning of last year. It was like, oh, okay, now I see what's going on. And I've done quite a bit of research. 
since that time, as so many of us have, and um, yeah. uh, have been astounded at what has been revealed by um, what's going on. So it was COVID, yeah. really, the the beginning of the scamdemic. <laughs> I can't call it a pandemic because I don't think it is. No, but... <laughs> no, exactly. Well, well, yeah, plainly, yes, it was. It yeah. really was like um, the lights went on. And I was in South America, in Ecuador, when the uh, pandemic <laughs> um, broke out. And from the get-go, it was this something very strange something doesn't fit with all of this i mean really almost from day day one and that wasn't just my intuition it was also my medical mind because i actually have a fairly good basic medical mind i'm, I'm quite old school in that and you know when, when the mass testing of the general population started with uh, the pcr test i thought in 40 years of medicine, I have never seen mass testing of the largely healthy population. I've never seen the quarantining of, of the healthy. So I, I had a lot of questions right from the beginning. But probably my background in having been um, explored other healing modalities um, contributed to me seeing it with a slightly different view. I mean, I, I was at a shamanic... Um, plant medicine retreat center. I was volunteering there for three months. So, so I have explored a lot of different things. And um, as I said, I, I have had a foot in both worlds. But I'm very grateful for all those experiences at this point, I must say. Yeah, it's funny how life yeah. prepares us for what gets thrown at oh, us, yeah. isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, it did. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, 100%. Mm. I can say that quite clearly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, Medicine right now in Australia, I, I, hmm, I, I see the Western medical practices and I see so many doctors who are feeling completely trapped in what's happening with opera. With, they're not even allowed. I, I was speaking with someone the other day and her daughter had a terrible reaction to the COVID jab. Mm -hmm. um, she had myocarditis. Uh, I think okay. she was 22 years old, myocarditis within three days and seizures, mm -hmm. both of those things yeah. after the first jab. And she wanted to get an exemption so she, her daughter would be able to go back to work without taking mm -hmm. another jab once she was well enough. And the doctor said, if I write an exemption for her, I will lose my license because yeah. opera will not allow me to do that. Um, have you heard stories like that or, yeah? Many, many stories, um, which I, I, look, I have no words for. I, I just can understand that. And I saw a, um, it's just a little social media post. There was a, um, I think it was an Australian doctor um, sitting by his son who'd had the vaccination and had myocarditis. Mm. And uh, I don't know to what severity and saying how good the vaccines were in the same breath. And to me, that's such a level of cognitive dissonance mm. that, that we've been so programmed, and I'll use that term, I actually use the term brainwashing a, a lot, uh, and people find that offensive, but that's what it is. We've it been is. programmed because we're very programmable and innocently programmable to, to you know, believe things that are fed to us. And that's going back to my experience uh, when I went to India five years after I graduated. Um, I had to go out of that situation where I just believed everything I was taught 
to say, oh, okay, no, there's, there's a different way of looking at life and health. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that's answering your question. Yeah, a bit. I, I saw that post and I have to say I did bite back a bit because I could not believe any parent could see. And, and the term mild myocarditis is one that really sets my teeth on edge because mm -hmm. there is no such thing as mild myocarditis no. or mild no, pericarditis. not at all. Absolutely. You're permanently Absolutely. damaging the heart. <laughs> and, and now in America, they're making um, heart attacks normal for our youth. They're, they're, the propaganda is, oh, it happens in young people. Mm. Wow, it, it didn't happen in young people for the 40-plus years of medicine I was in. But, um, you know, we're, we're being seeded with these, these new concepts um, all the time. And uh, we have been over the last 20 months particularly, but way, way going back 100 years, starting with the Flexner report, of course, um, that they'll seed in these ideas so that they're accepted and they become normal and they're instilled into our belief system. So by the time, say, uh, a sanction or a medical intervention is imposed, there's less resistance from the population. And um, on, on that point, they've started masking young children in the state of Victoria down to grade three, eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds. After 20 months of the pandemic, uh, in the most locked down place on the planet, and despite the, the fervent rollout of the um, genetic biologics called vaccines, they're now masking our children. And... I just don't know why they don't reflect and say, well, we've subject our population to absolutely um, severe and draconian deprivations all this time. Why don't we reflect on that and say it didn't work? <laughs> and we, we know the studies on lockdowns worldwide. They don't work, generally. But no, they're now masking our children. I thought, why are they doing that? Why are they masking kids now? And um, I, I know why they're doing it. Why? Or I suspect, right? I think they're preparing the population for then mandating vaccines in that age group. Now, I don't have anything to verify that. That's a suspicion from my point of view. But it, no, it makes no sense because there's overwhelming evidence that these things are one harmful for health and the psyche particularly, and that affects the body um, and really do very little to stop viral spread. So I think they're preparing the population. Say our kids, they're sick, they're vulnerable, go along with it. And the more people go along with these things without question, the more um, interventions will be imposed, as we have seen mm. systematically over the last 20 months. That mantra is already being um, used. I heard Scott Morrison say that he wants a, uh, a jab in every arm in Australia. And uh, in the United States, they're now using the vaccine or using the vaccine in trials in infants as young as six months of age, and they're talking about adding it to the infant vaccination schedule. And uh, I cannot think of a situation where children are at risk from SARS-CoV-2, if it even exists, mm -hmm. and the idea of putting them at risk from a jab that hasn't been trialed is hard to imagine. And I guess that takes me to my next question, which we, <laughs> I really and yeah. truly can't work out how it is that people have been so easily fooled into going along with this when, 
I mean, when, when it first started, we saw people in China falling flat on their faces in the middle of the street, dropping down dead happened. straight away. Yeah. We haven't seen that. That I mean, that's either if it was completely faked or there was something else involved. Um, we don't know. Yeah. But, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So and, you know, I... <laughs> why mm -hmm. are we still in such a state of fear and by we i mean a, a large segment of society in such a state of fear and what does fear do to your ability to make correct decisions for yourself and your family yeah so i call it a campaign of terror that we've been subject to um from the get-go and and going back along before that as i said back to the uh, flexner report and probably before that so, you know, control is a very systematic psychological, use and fear as control is a very systematic psychological ploy as, um, and it's a great control of mankind as uh, religious leaders and politicians throughout history can attest. So it, it also ties into the uh, problem reaction solution model on which a lot of Western medicine or modern healthcare is based. So you terrorize a population, you have a problem, or you'll get a problem, or your loved ones will get a problem. Reaction, fear, terror, solution. Here, take this to get rid of the, the problem. So when we're in that state of fear, we default to the limbic part of the brain, and we all have different predispositions to that. So we just don't think as clearly, basically. And we default to the limbic, the emotional part of the brain, at the expense of the prefrontal cortex, which is our executive functioning part of the brain. So a lot of people just lose rational thought, quite frankly. And, even, and you've probably found this, Meryl, even if you have the best data and the research um, available, you can put it under people's noses and they just won't see it. They can't take it in because they're not exercising that part of the brain. Now, that sort of survival fear reaction is really designed for um, short-term survival. And, and we need it. We need it to stay on the planet. If we're being chased by a tiger, we want that survival mechanism to kick in very quickly so that we go into fight, flight, fear or, or freeze. But this has been sustained for month after month after month, now almost two years, by the relentless, um, uh, rabid and sycophantic mainstream media who are doing the bidding of their authoritarian masters, I might add. And, you know, in my opinion, manipulating people's survival fears under the guise of healthcare, or general what I call goodism, uh, is the most heinous form of manipulation, in my opinion. And I think it comes back to people who are materialists, and I don't mean materialistic, but materialists, and only believe in a physical 3D reality, they're going to be much more invested in a 3D physical solution to what they consider is a 3D physical problem. So, you know, we've had a, a myopic, almost hysterical focus on the virus without re really looking at individual susceptibility to it and what we can do about that. So it's been very, very much loaded in one direction. And um, from a my body point of view, it's, um, a very, very limited approach, let's say. And I think the survival fears that have been manipulated, and I, I believe systematically, I mean, call me cynical, but that, that's what I've seen. Um, a lot of people actually think 
they're going to die if they get the virus. It's not, I will get sick or I will have the sniffles. A lot of people believe, at least at an unconscious level, that they will die. It goes to that extent. And then there's um, the fear of not meeting one's survival fears. So, you know, I can't keep my job. I can't feed my children. And one of the, one of the very potent uh, fears that we're all subject to is fear of being trapped and immobilised. And that's been worked against us. That's a very potent fear. We are not meant to be trapped and immobilised. And maybe particularly fear of being rejected from our tribe, because that's an ancient fear, a primal fear, that we're all still very, very subject to. It's just dressed up differently in modern times. So, oh, if I don't go along with the crowd, if I um, stand out, if I'm seen as the bad person who's killing someone else's grandmother by not wearing a mask or whatever... I will be rejected by my community because traditionally that meant isolation, humiliation and death. So I think a lot of people are still run by that and we're seeing that. We're seeing people who, you know, some of them have quite good um, knowledge about what's going on, but they just say, I don't care, I'm just going to acquiesce and go along with it. Yep. So It's yep. human nature, isn't it? And, and when you were talking, yep. it made me think about the division that's happened in society, the us against them, and the people who you would normally have thought were just your average nice mm -hmm. human being who has now turned into mm -hmm. the community snitch and uh, the yeah. person who will front up to a total stranger in a, in a mm -hmm. BP service station and say, how come you're not wearing a mask? Put that mask on or I'm calling the police. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's ch totally changed the way we relate to each other and affected Absolutely. us psychologically. It's got to have affected us psychologically. Um, yeah. what, is, what are the physiological effects of long-term fear? What are the immunologic effects of long-term fear? Not good. <laughs> so firstly, I want to preempt what I'm saying by saying we're very resilient. We are, but we've forgotten that. It doesn't even come into the equation because we've, it's been, well, essentially it's been applauded that people are germphobic, you know. So what used to be a psychological aberration is now getting the kudos, okay. And I think that's a very, very, very dangerous mm -hmm. trend. So that high survival fear, not, oh, I have a bad day, I, you know, I'm fearing something, get over it, we're all going to have fear. But when it's sustained at that level for month after month after month, um, we, we know it affects the immune system in a, never, a very negative way. You know, uh, initially we put out a lot of cortisol, which is a great anti-inflammatory, but um, we know the effects of cortisol long-term are very adverse. So, uh, so it works on the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal system. So what is designed as a short-term response and is okay as a short-term response is not okay in the long-term uh, we know it impairs our immune system by putting up the cortisol uh, most definitely, but many other effects. It um, uh, increases one's susceptibility to diabetes. It's um, not good for the connective tissue. It increases blood pressure, increases the risk of heart disease and, um, and on it goes. It's not good for the brain either. Um, so, you know, as you probably realise, the amygdala can shrink, I mean, can... Um, expand the hippocampus can um, shrink down and the prefrontal cortex can shrink so people don't think as clearly if there's long-term fear. I I'm hoping all that is reversible given the right conditions 
Uh, we are basically resilient, but we do need to be reminded of that because, um, as I said, our resilience has all been forgotten. And the resilience of our immune system has been forgotten because, you know, in my opinion, the, the absolutely intelligent design of nature is, is, you know, has got it worked out better than the arrogance of our left brains, of our intellects. Yeah. And... Um, but, you know, there's been a real campaign to denigrate anything natural. And, you know, I'm considered a heretic if I talk about natural things such as vitamin D, uh, zinc, uh, stress management. It's quite, quite bizarre. So we're gearing the population to look for the magic bullet. OK, we have this. We terrorise the population, which we have or they have. I have and OK, well, here's the solution. Again, getting back to problem, reaction, solution. So that's why people are lining up, like, in almost a fanatical manner. It's almost a cult energy. And a lot of people will spend more time looking at the specs of a blender they might be buying or the ingredients of a cupcake rather than what they might be injecting into their own and their children's bodies. And I think that's very alarming because it's the promise magic bullet. This thing will take away all our problems. We know it won't. But a lot of people, I think, actually believe that, yeah. you know, uh, which is quite alarming. It is. People have lost the ability for critical, independent thought, it seems. Um, I, mm -hmm. I went to a, I was lucky enough to go online and see a talk by Dr. Zach Bush last week. And I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but oh, yeah. He, yeah, he has such a great outlook on reality um, that I yes. think is something that we're, we're missing. And he said, inside of our bodies, we have 10 to the power of 15 viruses at every time. Yeah. And in the air around us, it's 10 to the power of 31, mm -hmm. which are numbers that we mm -hmm. can't even wrap our no. head around. It's so many yeah. viruses. And he said, that's exactly. just viruses. That's not the bacteria. That's not the fungi. Yeah. That's not everything else. And we live with them all the time. And the idea so. that one COVID, mm. you know, SARS-CoV-2 is going mm. to be what's going to cause us a problem when we've got all these other gazillion um, viruses is insane. Absolutely. And, and I've been saying that right from the beginning, because um, we absolutely need these trillions of microbes for our health. We co-evolved with them. We have the DNA of different viruses in our uh, genome to help us uh, adapt to changing environments. They have a function. So the vast, 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 vast majority of them are beneficial and we need them. And when we're looking at our immune systems, particularly um, the healthy, robust innate immune systems of our newt, they need that constant interplay with a whole variety of microbes and pathogens, uh, like ex exercise in the muscle, to hone their innate immune systems, upon which natural herd immunity is based. Yeah. And uh, that whole idea has, they've tried very hard to get rid of that idea. And, you know, it, there used to be a time when it was thought that a child would have a jump in maturity and development after experiencing a childhood illness. Now, I'm not suggesting people don't appropriately look after themselves. Um, not at all. I'm all for good hygiene measures. So I'm not, you know, throwing the baby out with the bath water. But these things have a function. 
and to make them all the enemy, and particularly, as you said, to make one out of an infinite number the enemy is, um, it's hysterical and it's myopic and it's inaccurate. But that's what we've seen and that's what a lot of people have believed. It is, yeah. but it's, it's not, I can't see any benefit to the average person from the way the government has handled this. The only, the only community that is benefiting is the pharmaceutical and medical community because they are making money hand over fist. Um, I remember before all of this started, um, it was thought at that point, I think the worldwide market for vaccines was about $20 billion a year. And they were saying that by 2025, that could go up to $30 billion. Well, this year alone, Pfizer, just one of the manufacturers, is making $33 billion. And the worldwide market just for COVID vaccines is something yeah. like $75 billion for this one year. Oh, so, yeah, extraordinary. <laughs> it's, extraordinary. It's an amazing amount of money. And, and what I find extraordinary is that most people turn a blind eye to that. They can't say, oh, maybe there's conflicts of interest, possibly. I mean, maybe. Uh, or vested interest, possibly. <laughs> we know there's a lot of money changing hands. We know that. But the average person doesn't seem to... They either don't see it or they don't care about it. Mm. I find that extraordinary. Yet someone promoting a vitamin, oh, they're in it for the money. It's like, what? <laughs> okay. I, I, I've heard that. I've heard it. Oh, well, you're just saying this group of people are not supporting these medical in interventions because they're in it for the money. But it's okay that they make billions, if not trillions of dollars. It's, it's um, quite... Uh, yeah. I, I've, yeah. he I've heard yeah. them call it big nature as opposed to big pharma because we're, we're, oh, we're actually and we're we are. Um, I'm not anti-vaccine in any way, nor is the AVN. I believe that everybody should have a choice, but um, I'm Agreed. called a professional anti-vaxxer, even though I've never made a penny from this. Um, it's yeah, yeah, just amazing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it, it's quite intriguing because if it was a medication or let's say penicillin, do you have to be 100%, you know, are you pro-penicillin or anti-penicillin? Well, it depends. It depends on the type of penicillin. It depends on the patient, their condition, whether they're allergic, uh, yeah. their age group, their other um, comorbidities. It depends. That's okay. We have no problem with saying that. No one's going to say, oh, you, you're anti-penicillin. You know, it's, it's appropriate in some situations and it's not in others. And it can, in the wrong circumstances, kill people if they had an anaphylactic reaction. So that's expected that we do that analysis of medications. But if we dared to do that for a vaccine, we're labelled as, you know, the anti-vaxxer, blah, 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 and, and on it goes. And, and it's like, why should there be such different rules for this medical intervention versus this medical intervention? Because surely it's not dogma, is it? <laughs> like if someone said you have to be 100% um, pro-penicillin, I'd say, well, that's actually not science. I'm sorry. That's dogma. So you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know exactly yeah. what you mean. And I think it is dogma and vaccination is treated more like a religion than it is like a it science. Um, yeah. And and it's really it really is interesting to see. Uh, one thing that I found having done this for th almost 30 years is that Finally, like for all this time, we've been screaming into the wilderness that some people just can't handle the vaccines in the childhood schedule, that one size fits all is is 
you know, inevitably going to mean that people are going to be killed or injured who otherwise wouldn't be. And we Mm -hmm. need to be looking at who that is. Uh, And nobody really wanted to pay any attention. No jab, no pay came in. Nobody really Mm -hmm. cared. No jab, no play came in. Nobody Mm -hmm. really cared. But now that it's targeting adults, now that adults are being told they can't work, it's no jab, no job, now people are really interested. And it makes me almost think that the government might have gone, they might have jumped the shark. They might have just gone that little bit too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I don't know, what is it going to take to actually make mm-hmm. people stand up? That's one thing I've always really questioned. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that, having observed the way that people respond to these things. When are the majority of doctors going to decide that taking care of their patients actually is more important than taking care of their career? Um, When are people going to make those hard choices and stand together? It's something I've pondered. I can't pretend I have the answer, but I think if people haven't done their research and um, been less awake to some of the things going on that are very questionable, uh, sadly, they might wake up if some do and some won't if they, um, if they hurt enough. I think it will come to that. Not that I want them to hurt enough, but um, um, I mean, that's often when people change course in the sort of healthcare they want. They, they have a bad experience with one thing or another thing uh, and that will make them change course, but it often comes to that. So, um, look, I, you know, we hope it doesn't happen. Yeah, but uh, I think people will wake up when they hurt enough. Yeah, all the information in the world is not worth one no. personal experience, and it's a shame that we have to go there uh, before we mm. actually make that decision. And it brings me back to what you re- you started talking about before, which is how the government has basically the government, the medical community, the pharmaceutical industry, the media, um, how they've only had one answer to this whole thing. It's all down to this virus and the only answer is this genetic modification device that they're pushing as a vaccine. Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. has diet and nutrition come in um, throughout this process? Where have other frontline treatments, which, I mean, I don't know what your opinion Mm -hmm. is of them, but they've certainly Mm -hmm. uh, been suppressed by the government. Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, vitamin D, intravenous vitamin C. zinc, Mm. all of these things, Mm. how can that be justified? How can that actually be be a a process that the government is going through if they care about the individual's health? It can't be justified because we know medications like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D, zinc, vitamin C, and, and there's a few others, of course, most, if not all of them, are affordable, accessible, and safe and effective. There have been many, 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 many studies on all of these. Uh, medications like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin have a long track record uh, of safety. And it was quite intriguing that there was a well-publicized case of an ivermectin toxicity just before they banned ivermectin. What a coincidence. Yet, <laughs> yet, yet. And the thing is, if someone's unwell, if there's a pandemic and people are unwell, 
you're going to want to treat them with something that's accessible and relatively safe and, and you know, that has quite a good track record. It's got a history. You'd think that would be a sensible approach, whereas promoting, or not pro, forcing now, really what is an experimental investigational um, gene technology um, biological quarter vaccine on the everyone, on the largely healthy population, including children and now down to infants. In my opinion, it's a crime against humanity. It is insanity and I do not support it. I just don't. If an adult chooses, I'll look at my research, I'll think about it, I'll get the advice and I'll choose to have it fine. No worries there. I'm all for, for uh, informed choice. But we're talking about the whole healthy population, including children. And to me, you know, the children is the absolute line in the sand. It really is. Where they have very, very, very little risk generally. There'll always be exceptions. There mm. always are. There are for the flu, you know, for, for a whole variety of things. Yeah. But, um, and to say, oh, we need to vaccinate children, to get vaccine-induced herd immunity. Well, COVID, generally speaking, we know there are exceptions, is an older person's disease. We should not be sacrificing our youth for the sake of that cohort. We should lo look after them as best we can. They can have the vaccines for sure and protect them, but we shouldn't be sacrificing our youth for, for them and to appease the unbridled fear of the adult population. Because getting back to fear and what it does to the brain, that short-term survival fear is quite narcissistic. So it's designed to be in the short term. If we're running from a tiger, we're not going to be worried about the neighbour three doors down the street, okay? We are focused on the threat. But that's been, you know, with all the propaganda 24-7 pretty much over this time, people, a lot of them anyway, are in that state all the time or they're fearful of uh, losing their jobs or the social implications. Um, so it's a narcissistic state. And we're seeing that, as you are saying before, people say, well, if they're not being vaccinated, drag them off. They've made their choice. We don't care. It's like, wow, where did that come from? Because they, they don't care. They're, they're very focused on their immediate survival. Now, I'm not blaming them. We've been socially engineered to a large extent to get to that. But that narcissistic, what is designed for a short-term survival fear, has been, you know, extended where, where people are so focused on being safe. I've, they, I've actually never yeah. heard that before, but it makes a lot of sense because you mm. do see, um, you do see a lot of people making those decisions. I know one of the things, there's a meme that's gone around that it says, if you've ever wondered how you would behave in 1930s Germany, you're doing it now. And mm. I can see how, I never really understood how an entire country, how an entire region yeah. of the world could be uh, become like that so quickly. And now I do see exactly how it works. Um, mm. it's, it is pretty amazing. Um, and, and the idea of this sort of fear making people narcissistic, that makes a lot of sense to me. And mm -hmm. um, I guess the people who planned this, because uh, I do believe yeah. it was quite planned, were I very did. aware of what they had oh, to yeah. do. Oh, yes. Yeah. And it's been practiced but, over the last 20 years with SARS and MERS and Ebola and all of these other um, 
viruses that were going to be coming out to to kill us all. Um, but this time they got it right. Yeah. yeah. You terrorize the population, you give them the solution, and you create the, the enemy, you create that division, and that yeah. controls the population. Uh, yeah. And without, yeah. without a, a captive and, I guess, terrorized medical community, uh, none of this would work. Yeah. So, um, I mean, mm. and what, in your opinion, and I, I understand that you probably are not someone who hangs out a lot with mainstream doctors. <laughs> but, I don't. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. you know, in your opinion, what percentage of the medical community would be true believers and what percentage is just going along with it because they want to keep their jobs? I, it would be a guess, Mara, because I don't hang out a lot with them. Mm. And there's some great doctors out there who are doing their best under difficult situations. So uh, I don't want to bag my profession. And I think part of the problem is a lot of them are really busy. A lot of doctors are very stretched. You know, they're busy, busy, busy. They don't have time to do the research. Mm. So it's easier to listen to the pharmacist, the pharmaceutical spiel and uh, the Australian doctor or, or whatever. I don't know if I'm meant to mention names, but anyway. That's fine. You can yeah. <laughs> edit that out. And, um, you know, and, and it's, they're delivered in such compelling ways that it's like, oh, these people, they know what they're talking about. So it's, it's easy for a lot of people who are busy and stretch anyway to yeah. not sit down and do hours and hours of research. Uh, Percentage-wise, I'd, I'd be guessing I really would. Yeah. I, I don't know. I would say a lot do believe the narrative. Um, I certainly have spoken to some who think it's, it's everything's a good thing that the government's doing. Um, maybe 80%, 20%, but that look, that's a guess. I don't know. That's probably what? the same as society in general, really. Yeah. Um, yes. though, though I think that the community, you have a lot more probably... 30 or 40 percent who are on the fence because I have to say I've been like I said I've been doing this for 30 years and I've spoken with thousands of families whose children and and adults have been either killed or injured by vaccines but the deaths and the injuries were few and far between now it's very rare for me to speak with someone who doesn't know at least one person who died after the jab yeah and several yeah. who've been permanently injured. And I think that that is changing the minds of people as well, um, that experience, like you said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And probably a lot of those people don't know people who actually had COVID. Personally. That's the other thing. Yeah, like, like I said, when we saw the people in China falling over, even I thought for a minute, hmm, maybe this is something no. <laughs> bad. I'm going to stock up on vitamin D. I'm going to stock up on vitamin yeah. C yeah. and I'm going to make sure that we have enough food for two weeks in the house. But, uh, you know, after we were also in summer at the time. So, you know, it was, I didn't know anyone who was sick. I still don't know anyone yeah. who had COVID. Yeah. Um, and the idea of testing people who were, they say asymptomatic. Well, they're not asymptomatic. They're healthy. So what yes. is the point of testing healthy people oh. to find out if they're oh. sick? If you need a test to find out if you're sick, you're not sick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't, don't get me started on that one, nor, nor mask. I've got a lot to say about that. Well, as I said, right from the beginning, it's like, I've been in medicine for 40 years. Yes, it's supposed to be a pandemic. Um, but why are they testing healthy people, most of whom be um, asymptomatic? Don't we need them for natural herd immunity? 
that's that's a good thing. But um, I, I think it's to drum up the fear and, and call a positive test a case. And a lot of people think a case is an un, a significantly unwell person. And we know what the cycles are using on the PCR test. They're extraordinarily inaccurate and give a very false picture of what's going on. I think that's a blatant form of manipulation. I mean, even the WHO has said that, you know, said the test alone without symptoms doesn't really mean a lot. And uh, they've changed their recommendations on the cycle threshold, but it's still, still lauded as a gold standard in this country. And they've done over 30 million tests and still people are lining up to be tested. I, I just don't understand that. Imagine the money they've, they've spent oh, on these tests. Two, I've been told it's $200 yeah. a test. And wow. So <laughs> 30 million plus. That's a lot of money me. to waste. How many people would that feed? How many schools would that, you know, in, uh, provision? How many people would that put into good housing? Um, it's just, yeah. it's such a waste of resources. Yeah. And our government exactly. is proud of spending $3 billion so far on the uh, COVID effort an excess of $3 billion, and we just don't have that kind of money. Um, no, we, we, we don't. And we're in a particular situation in this country because we're quite, quite isolated and um, we've got a relatively uh, low population and a land, large landmass. Um, I think that's actually quite concerning with all these uh, lockdowns. So we're not, um, we're not honing our natural immune systems mm. as we normally would. And I think that is potentially making us quite vulnerable. Because they say, and I know it's questionable about whether the virus exists or not, but let's pretend it does. Um, a lot of people in the Northern Hemisphere have got natural um, you know, immunity by now, yep. which we know is robust and long, long-standing. We know that from a number of studies. And so they're in a good position, but we may not have that situation here. So in my opinion, all these sanctions, unless they were just for a very short time to flatten the curve, um, are quite anti-health and are doing the opposite of what they're purporting to do. Mm. And as I said, we've, um, you know, I'm all for protecting the vulnerable and caring for them appropriately and just good sensible hygiene um, uh, uh, sort of practices. But as I was saying, we've become universally germ-phobic and that is a very worrying trend. It's not good for our evolution to be such risk, so risk-averse, so contracted. Um, it's just not good, you know. No. We, need it, we need to be reminded of our resilience and the resilience of our natural immune systems. Yes, and all we need to do really is look at the situation in a country like Sweden that didn't do all the masking and didn't do the lockdowns and yes yeah. they did advise the elderly to you know to take care of themselves sure. and to stay out of crowds but hmm. they had a fraction of the deaths yeah. that other countries yeah. had and now when countries like the UK and France that have you know have very high rates of the um, jab being accepted they're seeing yeah. huge numbers of deaths and Sweden's not seeing any of that at all and they're going into winter absolutely yeah. fine and their economy is intact as well do, oh, no. do governments not even look at what's happening in other countries just insane. apparently not or they're looking at it and ignoring it i mean you think they'd just look at the pcr test for a start and say oh okay that's you know that was silly we need to stop that but no um yeah i think a lot of it's smoke and mirrors and manipulating people's yeah. Survival fears. Yeah. Now, 
You've written a book. I saw it on your website. I haven't read it, though. It's called, the title is fantastic, The Wounding of Healthcare, From Fragmentation to Integration. Can you tell me mm -hmm. a little bit about what that book is about? I mean, is it like just what the title says? And, and what are you actually offering in that book? Look, it's really my... Um... My, my take on mind-body medicine, I don't even like that terminology because um, there's really no consensus on what mind-body medicine is. Um, and I, I wrote it because a lot of people, I wanted to explain what's my take on mind-body medicine. So I thought I'd just write a little thing and it turned out to be a book. So, and uh, I'll certainly be writing another one on, um, on uh, this experience. So... You're just basically explaining um, what you, how your practice has been working, basically, for all these years. Well, it's 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 more of a broader view. I'm, I that's the way my brain works. I, I just take a broader view, um, and that fits in quite nicely with the whole mind body concept. So, mm. I, I've practiced a lot of normal medicine over the years, and I will. The, the whole mind-body thing will be better as counselling or coaching rather than you treating at the same time, if that makes sense. It does, so, yeah. And um, I, I love writing and I you know, love, you know, workshops and um, uh, presentations. That's, that's more my zone for that material because it's about education ultimately and because there's a lot of material, it's hard to put that within a single consultation when people are wanting their immediate problem dealt with. Yep. And having been, I mean, you said you spent some time in India, and I'm assuming that you would have um, seen the the therapies they use there, Ayurveda. They're very big in homeopathy. Um, they're, it is such a different, we have an arrogance, I think, in the Western world that we think we are so advanced and all of that is, you know, it's old and it, it you know, we've learned better than that. But yet mm -hmm. the, the outcomes that the people who yep. practice those sorts of medicines, you know, Chinese herbal medicine, Ayurveda, yep. homeopathy, they have better outcomes in general. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And when you look at the uh, childhood schedule, you would hope that would create a healthy population, healthier population of children. That's not been proven in mm. recent years, has it? Looking at what you're saying, um, you know, the rate of chronic illness and uh, neurodevelopmental problems have gone up a lot since the ex expansion of the program. So, you know, we really need to reflect on that side of it. Um, and that's what the integration bit is about, because I'm all for integrating the best and the safest of different healthcare disciplines in an atmosphere of mutual respect and education. I 100% agree. Western medicine has decided, you know, and uh, organizations like the WHO and the CDC and TGA and on it goes up front, they've decided they own healthcare. They don't own healthcare. That's, that's a complete illusion. Um, but people believe that and unconsciously that they actually have ownership of healthcare and of people's health, as we're seeing now with the, the rollout. Yeah. And I think it's time that, you know, the ownership of one health, one's health is rightfully given back to the individual. With the healthcare practitioner being the advisor and um, the facilitator and maybe the advocate, but they don't own that person's health. And that's a complete myth that's reached a pinnacle uh, at this point. 
and I hope will be dispelled because good things will come out of this. It might take a while. It might be messy. Mm. And uh, I think as you were suggesting before, this whole rollout is making us question the whole schedule that a lot of people, including me in the past, I've given vaccines in the past for sure, um, have been have not questioned. We've just gone along with it, assuming these people are ethical, they know what they're doing, there's no vested interest, they're looking after us. Well, I think that illusion is being dismantled, at least by some people, and I think that's a good thing. It is. Yeah. It's the silver lining to this situation is that consciousness yeah. is being raised, people are becoming more informed. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, the government is acting as if they own not only our health, but our entire body. Um, that they can tell us what to put in it and what not to put in it. And uh, mm -hmm. I think that it's time for us to actually claim that back. You're right, um, 100%. Um, do you yeah. see, now, now you have voluntarily stopped your registration with OPERA. What has mm -hmm. that given you that you didn't have <laughs> before? Look, I'm not pretending it's easy it's you know that's been my life for a long long time but it's certainly given me freedom it was the right decision for me 100 percent. it in fact it was a non-choice really it may not be for another practitioner though and i respect that but it was for me some people might decide i'm better serving if i stay in the system so no rights or wrongs here but um you know it's simply i couldn't agree to their terms and condition and the level of censorship imposed and really um, you can't give informed consent if you can't give informed consent but you certainly can't give it under an atmosphere of coercion mm. and control and um, you know on one hand they say follow the evidence base which has its own problems but don't say anything against what's what's been proposed so it's like yeah it was really um, Meryl when I saw the statement saying it's okay to um, offer rewards and incentivize patients for being vaccinated. Um, I thought, no, I don't want to be a member of that club. I'm sorry, because to me, that's really going against professional values. It's not a chook raffle. It's not a cheap election campaign. We're talking about people's lives. Yeah. And, you know, cheap bribery is not on, not on. You know, it should be strictly about the pros and cons and the, the medical need or not not about here you can have a raffle ticket if you have that vaccine yeah. uh, that you know absolutely appalls me as does blackmail yeah it's not mandated but uh, sorry you can't live or feed your children if you don't have it people are put under enormous stress enormous stress by having to make some really 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 difficult decisions they are and, um, and let's face it yep. if we believed that this was really good for our health we wouldn't need to be bribed we'd be paying for it exactly but um, exactly. a lot of people <laughs> don't believe mm. that i mean in the united states crispy cream donuts was offering one donut a day for a year which is just about one of the unhealthiest things you can possibly have but it's good mm -hmm. for your health it's good for your yeah. health uh, <laughs> that's good for your health I just lost your camera. I don't know why that happened. Oh, there we go. You're back again. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I, I lost your sound for a moment. Oh, okay. No worries. Um, no worries. Yeah. Yeah, bribery. That should not come into the medical arena at all. No, um, it is very wrong. And, and, you know, the precautionary principle that, you know, we've adhered to traditionally has been thrown out the window, you know, with pregnant women at any stage of pregnancy. 
you know, they're being coerced to have the, the vaccine. Now, I've never heard that in 40 years. We used to lament about giving a Panadol to a woman. Um, but, but, and, you know, don't have mercury, don't have fish that has mercury and all these things. Yet in the first trimester, it's okay, despite there being no medium to long-term safety and efficacy data on these interventions. Um, yeah. Well, there may not be any long-term safety data, but there certainly are safety signals uh, for pregnant women. There have been a high percentage of miscarriages in some studies. There's small studies, granted, but um, the, the, our yeah. government is saying that these things have been tested and been shown to be safe and effective mm. in pregnancy. And uh, I don't believe mm. that's true. So no. have, you, have you seen um, any adverse effects in your own practice among your own patients from this or any other jab? Um, well, I was not in a situation where I was not working in a practice where they were given vaccines. Right. Uh, right. So I was, I was working with medicinal cannabis since I came back from South America right. because I didn't want to get involved with um, uh, giving, administering something that I wasn't sure was safe to the patient. Right. So I avoided that arena. So I've heard anecdotally, like you have, mm. uh, many incidents, but not directly from patients because I was not their primary doctor. Right, right. Mm. And, and so now, because you haven't um, renewed, you are freer to practice the way that you feel is best for the yes, patient. Yes, well, well, so officially I cannot practice as a doctor. Okay, sorry, I shouldn't have said that, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Sorry, sorry I'm not free. But um, there are other things I can do, such as counselling, and coaching under a different banner, mm. not under APRA. At this stage, if APRA changes significantly, I, I might, they might have want me back after all I've said, but we'll, we'll see what evolves. Mm. Uh, but right now, I just, yeah, I don't feel I personally can go along no. with them. And that's, yeah. that's really, it's a good thing. I think that um, if, you, if you knew how bad it was and you continued, that wouldn't have said very much about you. So it's, mm. it's, a, it's a sign that you're an ethical person with integrity. And I, I remember very clearly, because I wanted to practice medicine and to study medicine in another lifetime <laughs> about 100 mm -hmm. years ago. And at that time, medicine was... a, a an exciting field. It was something that was constantly changing and people's, people were always trying to figure out the next best thing to do if things weren't working properly. And now it seems to be there is no next best thing. There is only standard of care and we cannot do anything that varies from that standard of care. Mm -hmm. Can you see a time when medicine will come back to being about the patient instead of about the mantra, about the, the way that things are oh, supposed to be? Definitely. Oh. I, I just don't know when, but yep. definitely, because I think at least some and maybe a lot of people will be very disillusioned by the system as it is. And uh, I think one good thing that comes out of it is a lot of people are doing their own research and taking their health into their own hands, which ultimately everyone should. Yeah. As I said before, the healthcare practitioner should be the advisor and the facilitator, but not the owner. So people are getting more uh, self-responsible. And um, I think that's a good thing. 
I think it will change. I think it will have to change. We don't go through massive situations um, like we are without some fundamental changes happening. Um, and I've said for a long time, there will be a new normal. We just have to be very careful about what new normal, what new normal we um, agree to. Yep, so, not the one we've got <laughs> now. <laughs> not in my, in my opinion. And I, I just want to say, and I, I might have said it, but, you know, there are some very aware doctors who are doing a great job in the system as best they can, given the difficulties. So I just want to commend them mm. as well. And it's their role to stay in the system. Um, it was my role to leave it at this stage. So um, no, no judgment on those who are staying in the system yeah. and doing their very best. Um, yeah, in that yeah. situation. Yeah, no, it can't be easy. It can't be easy for no. them. So um, yeah, no. I agree. And and we need good doctors in the system because people do need yeah. care. So I yeah, do. you're right. I, I think that's important to say. Um, Catherine, it has been a pleasure, an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with great you. Great pleasure for you. Thank you so much, Meryl. <laughs> no worries. The pleasure's all mine. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again. My Take pleasure. care. See you. Thank